Good singing indeed this morning. Teens, I appreciated that immensely. We will celebrate 15 years as a church. Technically, the anniversary date is August the 10th. But I gauge the growth and the age of the church by Kaylee and Kate. Uh, Kaylee and Kate were in diapers when we started. And Kaylee is a senior this year, and Kate is a junior. Only separated by a couple months, aren't you girls, in age? And so it is a wonderful joy to watch the youth group. I remember when there were two teens. Actually, I remember when there was one teen in the youth group years ago. And to watch it grow, I know the young people had a good time at camp. I did hear that camp this year had an international flavor, a lot of uh, foreign languages at camp. Uh, maybe some international students, but hey, we sent you to the mission field too. You got a missions trip and camp in one fell swoop, so it was a wonderful blessing, uh, I am sure. Well, this morning we're going to turn our attention in our walking series to walking with God and the life of Moses. That's who our study is about. We're going to study Moses over the next 10 messages, but not the next 10 weeks. In two weeks, we have the anniversary Sunday on August 20th. You'll certainly want to be here in the 1045. Matt and Delita will be here with us. It is their first opportunity to be here with us since Jaden's passing. And I know it will be a time where we can mourn with those that mourn, but then also rejoice with those that rejoice in what God does in tragedy and through sorrow. Uh, Their son, if you'll recall, was killed by a drunk driver back in March, and so they will be with us on August the 20th. And so uh, it'll be a good opportunity to be with them, but obviously we won't be preaching Moses that day. And then on September 10th, a dear friend of our family, a man that I've known for generations, uh, well, his generations, mine, my whole life, uh, Dr. Don Sisk, who who was from Kentucky originally, was a missionary in Japan, was the leader of Baptist International Missions Incorporated, BIMI, and then served on a college staff in his 90 years of life. will be here on September 10th to preach for us. Uh, he's a good old Kentucky boy. In fact, he flew down to see Matt and Delita about two weeks ago when Kentucky was playing in that Canadian basketball tournament. And they both sent me a picture of the two of them. Matt at 46 and Dr. Sisk at 90 said, hey, two Kentucky boys saying hi to a third. Are you watching the cats? And they sent a picture. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Aren't you supposed to be doing missionary work? But anyway, um, they were watching. And so he'll be with us on the 10th. And then in October, the first Sunday in October, we have our revival begins. It will be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of that week. And then the last. But all the way until Thanksgiving, we're here in Moses. We're looking at this man, Moses. And certainly, he is worthy of our study. He is a fantastic Bible story, a character, if you will, uh, in the true biblical sense of it, worthy of all our consideration. But this morning, I'm going to have to deal with chapter 2, and we're going to look at chapters 2 and 3 and see God's purpose. And that's what we'll be preaching on this morning. Let's read chapter 3 all the way through uh, to verse number 12. Then we'll jump into the preaching this morning. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. You would do the same. If you saw a bush burning and it wasn't being consumed by the fuel of the fire, you would also do as Moses did and say, 
what is going on. This is called a circumstance of life that catches your attention. Verse number four, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore... Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let me pause for a second in the reading and say this is one of the most poignant questions ever asked in the Bible. Moses had a very clear understanding of who he was and what God was asking him to do. We continue our reading, and the Bible says this, And he said, God said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon This mountain. Father, help us this morning as we turn our hearts to you. May we bring into captivity our thoughts, the distractions of life. May the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, bring not just illumination, but revelation, truth that changes how we act and think. Lord, I pray that in this hour, as we learn and begin to study the life of this man Moses, we would understand our own walk with you. There is a war to accomplish your purpose, and that war is between faith and flesh. But you want to deliver us out of it, just as you did, Moses. So, God, we ask for your presence in this hour. Be upon the word, that which is spoken, and those who hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our series so far, we have found that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In Abraham, he demonstrated faith. Jacob was the picture of restoration who became Israel. And Joseph, as we concluded our study last week, taught us all about surrender. And so when we've set ourselves to studying each of these individuals from the Bible, we've said there is a word that sets them apart. The word for Moses is deliverance. In Joseph, his life ends. If you have your Bible, take it and turn back to chapter 1 here of Exodus. Of course, he died and asked for his bones to be carried out of Egypt into the promised land when they departed back into the land of Canaan, the land of promise that God had given to them. Joseph and his surrender brought all of God's blessings and all of God's rewards. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6, we begin the reading there. It says, Joseph died. 
and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. What a glorious truth. When we surrender to God, he pours his whole self into us. He will allow us to be fruitful. There was a change, however, from verse number 7 to verse number 8 in the book of Exodus. There was a change in the world and in the world's thinking towards those who are followers of Jehovah God. And may I submit to you, in our country that we live today, there is a change that is going on about you and I who believe in Jesus Christ and how the world looks at us. Here's what the Bible says in verse number 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. The phrase here, in, phrasing here, I should say, indicates that this Pharaoh had no clue who Joseph was. Nor does it indicate that this Pharaoh knew anything that the God of Joseph or the God of the Israelites had actually done for Egypt. So, Moses is going to have to show us deliverance. Let's go back in time and in the Word of God as well to Genesis chapter number 15 we see that this was foretold, this was prophesied, this deliverance that was going to come. God doesn't say through whom it would be provided because it's going to be provided through Him. God's going to be the deliverer, but Moses is the vehicle. He's the object through which God can work. Back in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 13, the Bible says this, the message is to Abram before he even becomes Abraham. God speaking, and he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they, that is the people who are of that land, shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. He's speaking directly to Abram. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. He's speaking to Abraham. But then he says, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Here is the picture, and I put this at the top of your notes. Ishmael is the son of Hagar. Do you know who Hagar was? In Genesis 21 and verse 9, Hagar is an Egyptian. And Ishmael begins when Isaac is born to mock him. This is the beginning of the oppression of the Egyptians upon God's chosen people. It is the clicking and the ticking of the clock. It begins at that point. As we see then, the fulfillment of that prophecy is that in the fourth generation, they will be freed. Exactly 400 years after Genesis 21 and verse 9, the Israelites in bondage and in slavery to Egypt were used to judge Egypt. And the Israelites came out with, indeed, great substance, as we'll see in the life of Moses. Fantastically enough, those Israelites came out exactly, precisely, according to Exodus chapter 6, verses 16 through 20, four generations after they came. It says there, Levi had a son named Kohath, who had a son named Amran, who had a son named Moses. Four generations. God always keeps his word. What a truth. What an understanding as we come to this man. Our evening Sunday school series is on freedom from bondage, and the men who have been teaching have been doing a wonderful job. The focus in that time, and even this evening, is on the condition of Israel in their slavery 
and the liberty that God gives through Moses. While we will be examining similar passages of Scripture, our focus will only be on the personal lessons that Moses gives to us, not on the liberty from bondage. The Bible is as wide as it is deep. And so in a story, we can study the freedom that Israel gets and the truths that Moses had to live. And that's what we'll be doing this morning. Moses was the greatest prophet leader outside of Jesus Christ. I believe he was greater than David, greater than Solomon, greater even than Joshua, who is a close second to him. Listen to God's description of Moses, which, by the way, he made Moses write down in Numbers chapter 12 and in verse 3. He says, God of Moses, in verse 3 of Numbers chapter 12. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Could you imagine writing that about yourself? Hey, I'm very humble. I just wrote this to you. That's not what Moses is writing there. We'll get to this story much later in this series, probably in November. He's writing that. God puts that as a parenthesis in the middle of the story of Aaron and Miriam attacking his leadership. I have no doubt that Moses wanted to say nothing of his own meekness. But God made him. That's what inspiration does. God breathes. And when God moves, we as his instruments, we as his objects, must accomplish his purpose. So how did hiding murderous Moses, who we read in chapter 2 of Exodus, become the meekest, most effective leader to ever live outside of Christ? And the answer is through deliverance. God delivers him both personally and publicly. The first four messages in our series will focus on Moses' personal deliverance, while the final six will focus on his public deliverance. By the way, if you have been delivered from your sins, God expects you to go out and provide deliverance for other people in their sins. That's the life of Moses. That's what he's going to tell us. In other words, what God works in us, he wants to work through us so that the whole world can see what God can do. Our first study then takes us to this very truth. Moses was delivered to God's purpose. What then is God's purpose? Well, the answer can be summarized very shortly. That his name would be glorified in the earth. That is God's purpose for mankind. God wants more than anything that his holy name would be willfully reverenced by sinful man. In rescuing Adam in the garden... After Adam failed, that was God's desire. Yet we read in chapter 4 of Genesis that Cain slew Abel over petty jealousy and obvious disobedience in what he offered back to God. In the flood, mankind's conscience had become so seared that only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives retained the thought of God, and thus received God's delivering grace in that day. After Babel, it was only Abraham who was called out of Ur of the Chaldees because of his faith in God. It is only he that God delivered. And so we will find in Moses that God chooses a man to work through personally. That's how God loves to work. The war of purpose, then, you might say, is between faith and flesh. That's the fight. What does God want versus what do I want? God in the person of Jesus Christ has purposed to deliver mankind from the curse of our fallen flesh. And all we must do is put our faith and trust in Him alone. And we can be saved. So the study of Moses then is worthy. How does God deliver? This morning we're going to see that He delivers 
to a purpose, for a purpose and on purpose. God's purpose, number one, is impossible, though, in the flesh. It's impossible. We love chapter 3 and on of Moses' life. Oh, we might have a couple times where we see Moses was frustrated and Moses asks or complains to God, why don't you kill these people? And another time where he strikes a rock. But mostly we find Moses is a meek, humble, faithful servant. But we don't like dealing with chapter 2. You say, well, why? It seems like an innocent story. He's just a baby. Well, there's a lot more in chapter 2 if we will just take some time to stare at the Word of God, to meditate upon it, to think upon what God's Word actually teaches us. Biblically, the flesh is all that pertains to our fallen nature. Our flesh is at war with our faith or our spiritual man. Paul's great lament in Romans 7 and verse 24 was this, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's a tough question. Who's going to deliver us? Verse 25, he answers it. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, for Jesus Christ, our Lord. That phrase in chapter 7 and verse 24, that statement from Paul, that rhetorical question, it echoes Christ's powerful prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, The Spirit is willing... In the Gospel of Mark, it is recorded, the Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Moses was no different than any living human being. His flesh made it impossible for him to accomplish God's purpose. And your flesh will keep you from ever accomplishing God's purpose. You have to be delivered from this body of our flesh. His flesh, letter A, was helplessly incapable. Turn back to chapter 2 and pick up our reading in verse number 1. The Bible there says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took, the wife, uh, took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare his son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit, or for this end, what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children's. If you pause for a second, you know that the passage is telling us in that statement that the king before had said, hey, let's go slaughter all the kids. He had compelled the midwives in chapter 1 to go and to kill a born baby if it was a boy when it came out. Of course, they disobeyed, thankfully. Verse 7, Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called her the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, or Moshe in the Hebrew, which means, or as she says, because I drew him out of the water. Literally, his name means drawn up from the water. There isn't a better picture of what our flesh is, and that is a baby in an ark with no control. Helpless. Incapable of doing anything that is good or positive. A baby, as much as we love those newborn babies, can do nothing of itself. 
The story of his birth gives us the picture of just how helpless we all are in our flesh. His birth was one of duress. Only through the bravery of the midwives and the belief of his mother did Moses survive. He couldn't even survive of his own accord. Moses grew. He grew up, in fact, in the finest of Pharaoh's palace. And all of that was built into this man. He was used to and accustomed to the finer things of life. We could say today in the modern world, in growing up in Egypt, he grew up in America. He grew up with all of the niceties of life, all of the finest things that life could afford to him. That's what our flesh will try to do to mask being incapable of doing God's purpose. Well, I got a lot of stuff. This created a strong sense of the world in Moses, and it took 80 years for God to reveal himself and take it out of Moses. It created perhaps a sense of entitlement, as we'll see later when he makes an emotional decision. It gave to him a life of ease. The Bible tells us about sin and our flesh. It is pleasurable for what? A season. Make no mistake, when you live in the flesh, especially at first, it will not look bad. It will look great. It will feel great. It will be wonderful. And then at the end of it, you will realize, I cannot do a single thing for God in this state. This is Moses. This Hebrew Egyptian was a man of two minds, a man of two worlds. Friend, as long as you live in between two worlds, you will live without God's purpose. Moses didn't know if he should live as an Egyptian or if he should live as a Hebrew. And so he kind of waffled in between. Boy, there's a lot of kids that grow up in Christian homes that just have that same problem. He lived this way for 40 years. That's a long time. I'm 47. 40 years is a long time to live in one direction, in one way, in one manner. His name means drawn from the water. To the Egyptians, this meant he was drawn from the source of life. Literally, the Nile was their life. Surrounded by deserts, the Nile wove life into their empire. It gave them their strength, gave them their substance. Here is this man, helplessly incapable in who he is, an orphan Hebrew drawn out of the river, raised as an outsider in the palace. This man was helplessly incapable of anything purposeful in his flesh. He could accomplish nothing but his own wishes, nothing for God. Next, we find his flesh was, letter B, heedlessly irrational. Do you know what it means to be heedless? It means you're not listening to anybody. I'm not listening or obeying anybody. I'm going to let God out of my life and let me be in control. I'm just doing what I want. Can you imagine accomplishing anything for God's purpose in that way of thinking? The answer is no, you can't. When we live heedless or without control, lacking self-control, there is an irrationality of emotions that comes over us. Look what we find beginning in verse number 11 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out into his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. Now pause for a second on this verse. Moses goes out to see what's going on with the Hebrews. He was fancying faith. He was fancying those things that God would have. He was allured or attracted to those things, but he was still living in the flesh because he only went out to to spy them still as an Egyptian. 
You say, but he cared, Kyle. Yes, he cared, but he wasn't working yet within that faith. He was just doing it in his own flesh. And you say, how do you know that? Read verse 12. And he looked this way and that. Can I tell you something? One of the biggest giveaways when our teens and our younger kids are doing something wrong around here is when I'm walking around and doing this. Right? I mean, the teenagers, you all just came back from camp. You know what I'm talking about. Right? When your kids, mom and dad, are like this. I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) That's exactly how you should read verse 12. He went out there and went, (laughs) what's going on? I don't know. That's how verse 12 should read. He looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no man, what happens? He slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedst the Egyptian? Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Could you imagine what your first sin in the Bible should be recorded as? Like, I would assume it should be like for a white lie. Right? Or I think the first sin in the Bible might be like just some direct disobedience. I'm not suggesting by any means that those are okay, kids or parents. I'm simply saying to have your first sin recorded as he killed somebody. That is like the end of an irrational life. Right? I might get mad, I might yell at somebody, I might shake my fist, I might become indignant, but I've never taken to the idea that, hey, you know what, I'm just going to kill somebody tomorrow. That's what Moses did. We find that in his flesh, there's, there's no doing of God's will or God's purpose. There's no accomplishing of God, what God intends in this world as long as we live in our flesh. Because he's incapable of it, number one. But also he lives within the irrationality that what I want to do is what is right. We live in that age today. Our flesh is ruling this world. What a first sin to have recorded. This, my friend, is Cain killing Abel. That's what this sin is. We don't even know if this is the first conflict in the life of Moses, but we do know that this demonstrates the utter depths of hell that lie within each human being. Now, let me say this. I think Moses thought in the moment, yes, I might be doing something that's right. It might be wrong to do it this way, but I'm ultimately doing something right. You ever met somebody that thinks that way? Well, Dr. Bob Sr., Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this. He said, it is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. I thought that's a wonderful statement. Let me say it again. It is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. That's what Moses is doing here. Well, it's right. I've got to free my people, don't I? Well, not this way. You can't do it in your flesh. Good luck. It's right to protect my Hebrew brothers, yes, but not in the fleshly act of murder and then tampering with the evidence. I mean, in America, he would have been guilty of at least two crimes. That's amazing. Maybe more. I have to get the law enforcement guys to tell me exactly here in the church how many other sins there actually are or breakings of law. The point is, is that this is who Moses is. We often, by the way, surprise ourselves with how quickly we become debased in our behavior. 
and how much that debauchery can manifest itself. You don't believe me? Go and watch a sporting event. In modern America, you can't. You know why I don't take my boys to basketball games anymore? It's so much easier, number one, to just watch it on the screen. I don't have to drive. I don't have to pay for parking. I don't have to have a... But you know the main reason is? I got little boys with little ears, and I can't stand what I hear at a basketball game. Do I love my cats? Boy, I sure would love to go watch my cats, but I cannot listen to some of the things that people yell around me. I went to a game with one of my boys, and a blue hair that they call him around here in the lower section at Rupp Arena was yelling words that would make a sailor cringe. (gasps) Same thing at a Bengals game. Jason and I years ago went to a Monday night football game in, in Cincinnati. We left like right before Cincinnati made an epic comeback and then ultimately lost to Shane's Steelers. But the point is, we went to the game. And I was thankful as a deacon, he didn't yell a lot of these, or any of these words. (laughs) But man, sitting in that section, we were both like, oh. And I'm not saying that so that you guys are worried to go to these places or these things. I'm simply saying to you, it's not right in the world that we live. There is a debauchery and a debasement that comes out of all of us. Look at our cities. There's an irrationality that seems to dwell in our cities. I'm mad at what's going on in society, so I'm going to burn my city down. Really? I mean, we all sit here and say, well, that doesn't make sense. And then somebody tries to take your guns. Well, they're not taking my guns. Try to come and take it. Really? You're you're telling me that if the federal government showed up at your door to take your guns, you would violate scripture and shoot all of those federal agents. I'm not preaching against your right to, have, to bear arms. You have that right. I'm simply saying, be careful. We also fall into irrational behavior often. Oh, pastors against the Second Amendment. Not at all. I got plenty of guns. And I think it's my God-given right as an American to have them. It's not my biblical right to shoot people. Do you understand the irrationality? This is where Moses fell to because he fell to his flesh. Right? There is a fleshly component to these things. And sometimes we say, well, I wouldn't commit murder. But then we talk as if we would. By the way, Moses is not a moron. Stephen, in his great testimony and preaching in Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, says this of Moses. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. In other words, this is not some hick rube that doesn't know how to operate. He lost his emotional control because he was operating in the flesh and not by faith. Thus, he'll never accomplish God's purpose. Neither will you. Moses did not wake up on this particular day and say, hey, it feels like a good day to kill an Egyptian. He didn't say that. No, his flesh and his passions took control of him. That, my friend, is the recipe for disaster. We see this in our educated Western world. Learned people who are living without regard for others by only their passions. The thought arises within us, they should know better than to behave this way. Do they? In our flesh, do you? Without God, does mankind really know how to control their lusts? If you live by your lusts, if you live by your passions, in your longings and in your desires, then you will be as out of control as Moses is here in Exodus chapter 2. Our flesh is heedless, doesn't want to be controlled, and it's irrational. 
This is evidenced in Moses' failure. His flesh was helplessly incapable. His flesh was heedlessly irrational in chapter 2. And letter C, it was hopelessly ignorant. Now, I almost put blissfully ignorant, but I don't think it was so. Without heeding, ultimately, or having the burning bush experience that Moses has, and moving from a life of flesh living to faith living, without that, he would have been a forgotten and forsaken man on the backside of Midian, never to be heard from again. Pick up the reading in verse number 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to the water troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now, lest you think Moses is overly chivalrous here, and he is, we can do good things in our flesh. But make no mistake, here's a single guy without hope around 40 years of age and sees seven pretty girls come down to feed dad's flock. What do you think he's going to do? I mean, he's a man without a home. He's not welcome with the Hebrews. He's not welcome with the Egyptians. Hey, here's seven girls. Maybe one of them will marry me. He's 40 after all. And when they came to Reuel, verse 18, their father, now I believe personally this is the same man as Jethro that we read about in Exodus 3 and verse 1. This man's name, Reuel, means friend of God. Uh, The name Jethro means abundance from God. I think one is a title and one might be a surname or a name that is used within his role as the priest. He says this, how is it that ye are come so soon today? Hey girls, how'd you get it done? I thought those old jerk shepherds were going to run you off again. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us. Who did they call him? What? Is he an Egyptian? I mean, he's technically he's a Hebrew. His own mother knew he was a Hebrew, but his appearance was in the flesh. The way he controlled himself, the way he conducted himself, everything about him was not Hebrew, it was Egyptian. Ooh, there's a big distinction there. And also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, where is he? Hey girls, this is a viable candidate here. Where is this guy? Why is it that you've left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. I'm sure he was. I remember when we used to run the singles ministry back in Virginia. Keith, you run our singles here, right? I have no doubt that everyone who is in that state of singlehood, it is a gift from God, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, but also when opportunity presents itself, I don't think you should be shying away from it. And I'm sure he was content to dwell with them. Oh, sure. You got seven daughters for seven brides for seven brothers, right? You got seven? I'll stick around here. Surely one of them will work for me. And Zipporah was the girl, the Bible goes on to tell us. Moses was content to dwell with this man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. She bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he, for, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. May I say to you, that is a man without purpose. That is a man that's only living in his flesh. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. He preferred them. Here's the point. While God is doing all of this, beginning in verse 23 and following, Moses is happily married on the backside of Midian. He is hopelessly ignorant to the things that God wants him to do. That's what living in the flesh will do for you, young people, parents, 
older generation in here. Moses would have been a forgotten, forsaken man had he not met God at the burning bush. Moses was seemingly unaware of who God was, and his daily routine and the reality of his life didn't leave any room for God, even though he married into the family with a man named the friend of God. For his middle 40 years, Moses lived content in obscurity, ignorant of the plight of his brothers and sisters in Israel, in in Egypt, I should say. Oh, it may be that he thought of them, but his flesh had no solution to the problem. It never does. So it was out of sight, out of mind for Moses. That is until God makes himself known through the burning bush. Moses was ignorant to God's purpose, and thus he was unaware of God's people. He maybe even thought, well, I tried to help, but look what that got me. It got me nothing but trouble. When you try to serve God your way in your flesh, it will bring nothing but trouble. Emptiness. Purposeless energy. There's no worse thing in life to spend or be spent and do it without a goal or without glorifying God. Moses, so far, has generally, in chapter 2, lived for himself. Now, let me tell you something. From chapter 3 until the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it covers 40 years. We just covered 80. Now, you tell me, how long did Moses live in the flesh? Two-thirds of his life. How long are you going to live in your flesh? You see, it's not until we see the deliverance that comes in salvation, that comes by faith, that we begin to understand really what salvation and the Christian life is all about. To live beyond himself for a greater purpose, to a greater calling, was not something that Moses understood. In fact, I don't believe in his flesh. He could understand it. The things of the Spirit are only spiritually known. The man of the flesh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, cannot understand them. He can't discern them. Neither can you or I. I find that even today many Christians live hopelessly ignorant of what what, what a life of true deep and purposeful faith can do. Why is it that the church struggles to reach souls for Jesus Christ? Why is it on Tuesday there's six or seven that come out to visitation? Why is it on gospel blitz we might have nine or ten at each one? Why is it in a church of 300 there seems to be ten that care about reaching souls? Is it because the rest of us are ignorant? I mean, we know how to lead somebody to Christ, don't we? We know how to tell them about Jesus, don't we? You've been saved. You know what the process of salvation is. I'm a sinner. Jesus came to pay for my sin. I accept his gracious gift of salvation. Thus, I am saved. Because he is a good God. It's not because we don't know the truth. We struggle because we lack the faith to share our belief belief in God. And rather, we live in the flesh day to day doing things like this. Well, I think Jesus loves me. Can I tell you, if you tell your coworkers tomorrow that the way to heaven is that Jesus loves you, you are doing them a disservice. That is not the deliverance that Moses received. It's not the deliverance you received in salvation. Does Jesus love you? Absolutely. But that God loved the world, everybody knows. Even the guy on the front row at the football game. He has John 3.16 written on a placard. God was calling Moses here to a life of ministry and service, a life of purpose and productivity. It was a life fulfilled and useful to God. That's who God finds and changes. 
So many people that come to church on Sunday mornings are likely unaware of what God can and would do. What He would love to do in and through the lives of someone wholly surrendered and yielded to Him. That's the deliverance you're looking for. Deliverance comes by the realization of who God is and allowing Him to free us from our ignorance. In His flesh, Moses accomplished his own purposes, not God's. It led him into the middle of nowhere doing nothing for God. But faith, faith delivers him. So notice, secondly, God's purpose is inspirational in faith. It's empowering. Whereas the first is impossible, this is possible. It's inspirational, meaning it's God-breathed. It's God-energized. Moses' faith is found in his turning to God in the passage we read in Exodus 3 this morning. Notice with me his faith begins with God's heavenly call, letter A. Verses 1 through 4, again, of the text that we read, the Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why, the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned, in other words, when he recognized that Moses was responding, God called. Called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here am I. By the way, when God calls you, it's best for you to say, here I am. I'm right here. Here's the pattern then in this passage of God's call. God reveals himself. It might be in the preaching this morning that God reveals himself. It might be in a life circumstance. It could be a tragedy. It could be a triumph. It could be through a praying mother. It could be through a praying father. It could be through a godly spouse. It could be through good parents. It could be through godly children. However God reveals himself, whatever that burning bush in your life is, you must respond. Your flesh says no, but in faith you say, whoa, (laughs) this has got my attention, God. I always laugh at this passage of Scripture. Moses is writing it, and he's giving us the inner monologue that's going on in his head. The process of turning to God. I will now turn aside and see this thing. You ever had that moment? I mean, you don't say that out loud. But in your head, what's going on here? God, what are you up to? May I suggest when God reveals himself in such ways, don't miss it. Oh, your flesh wants you to, wants you to coast on by. I have no doubt in my heart that when we get to heaven, we'll hear more context to the story. I believe at the moment he stops by the bush, there were sheep in the background going, (laughs) because the flesh always wants to pull us away from what God is calling us to. God reveals himself. Moses responds by turning to God. And then God rewards Moses' faith with a deeper revelation of himself. That's what we read in this passage. It begins with God's revelation. Let me ask you this question. Where were you when the plan of salvation first appeared to you, when it became obvious that you must be saved? Stop and think this morning. The, The problem I get a lot of times in church and as a pastor here is, brother... I've just been in church my whole life. I've known Jesus since the day I was born. No, you haven't. (laughs) 
Well, my mother said I did. I'm going to listen to her, not me. Listen to God. Don't listen to me. There is a day where our faith becomes sight. There is a day where we say, oh, this is the God who reveals himself. This is the God who calls me. This is the God who will save me. This is who I am. This is who he is. I want by faith what he has. That's what Moses is doing right here. 80 years of fleshly living. Do we have any 80 plus year olds in here? Raise your hand very proudly. If we're not allowed to be proud, raise your hand. 80 year olds. Come on. There's more of you in here. Raise your hands. 80 year olds. It can't be more than just two. I know there's two more. They don't want to raise their hands. Or if I, oh, there are three. We got five. In the early hour, there were six. So you, they have you by one. 11 80 year olds plus in our church. How amazing is that? Could you imagine if God called you to do something for the next 40 years? Granny, if God came down and said, all right, the next 40 years, I want you to do this. You might go, well, I don't know. Moses was ready and he was willing to go. Why? Because he was now acting and operating in faith. Now God's purpose can be accomplished. This passage is written by Moses in his turn to God. Paul, speaking to the Athenians on Mars Hill, said this in Acts 17 and verse 30, But now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Moses is actually living Paul's words from Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God reveals himself, Moses responds, and then God speaks to him. May I say to you, if there's a circumstance of life, if there is something driving you to God and your flesh is fighting it, may I suggest this morning you respond in faith. The word of God calls you to salvation. It calls you to a life lived by and in faith. Faith indeed comes by hearing. Moses, Moses were God's words. Moses said, here am I. Salvation is yours, my friend. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, may that be your deliverance today. Revelation 22 and verse 17, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth, that word heareth there, has the idea of those who have already heard and obeyed, say, Come. That's you and I if we know Christ this morning. We're, out, we're supposed to be out telling people of the deliverance we have. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Deliverance comes by faith, not by your flesh. There's not enough good that you can do to earn salvation, but everything good comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's deliverance. Moses' faith answered God's heavenly call. Then it learned of God's holy character. The next verses, 5 and 6 that we read, he says, Draw not nigh hither. Hey, you've been changed, but you can't come like you are. you got to put off your shoes. The shoes are a picture of where we travel in the flesh. you got to put those off. This is holy ground. Why? Because I'm God and I'm holy. God's purpose is that we would be holy as He is holy. The first thing that Moses' faith learns is the holy character of God. Moses had to align his character to God's character. And in integrity, he made the choices all along life's journey to be as close as he could to God's character. You must learn that God is nothing like your natural flesh. 
There are many things that you must put off in the process of drawing closer to God's holy character. His purpose for each of us is that we draw near to him so that he might draw near to us. James chapter 1 and verse 19, he begins by saying, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now let's pause on that verse. Had Moses worked the wrath of man, mm -hmm, killed the Egyptian. Did he liberate any of the Hebrews? Not one. He earned their scorn. But we find now that he's taking on the holy character of God, the righteousness of God will work while the wrath of man doesn't work. The next verse says, Wherefore, or because of this, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. One of the greatest phrases in all of the Bible. You know what that means, the superfluity? It means the overflowing abundance of wrongdoing. The superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Later in chapter 4 and verse 8, he says this, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Moses had to make the choice to put off and to draw near to God. That is clear in this passage. God's purpose is accomplished only by faith. It is through his call, and it is through the holy character that we have. Character is deciding how you will act before you must act. A lot of people say, well, when it comes along, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. Determined to be holy from the Word of God and what that holiness looks like. The basis of God's purpose is that His holiness be demonstrated by those who follow Him. Finally this morning, God's purpose is inspirational in faith through the healing compassion of God, let her see. God always knows our needs, and He lovingly works through even our darkest hours. As this story of Moses' life, as 80 years of his life unfold, there are people being born and dying. There are slaves who are toiling and working until their backs are broken and their bones are bent. Thousands, if not millions, of Hebrew slaves were as ignorant as Moses was about the true compassion of God and that he had towards them. Look what the Bible says, beginning again, verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now therefore... Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Verses 7 through 10 give us the message of salvation. Look very carefully again in your Bible and read these words. He says, I have seen, I have heard, I know, and I have come down. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is that gift. He has seen, he has heard, he has known, and he has come down. In other words, in this passage, he's showing us what personal deliverance looks like. 
He shows us the compassion that he has on us. Jesus would say this in Matthew 9 and verse 36, or it would be said of him, I should say. But when he saw the multitudes, he, Jesus, was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Again, in 14 and verse 14 of Matthew, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Mark 1 and verse 41, And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will. Be be thou clean. It is compassion that drives God's purpose. The devil wants us to become hardened towards sinners. God wants us to see their condition as he does. He wants us to see. He wants us to hear. He wants us to know. And he wants us to go. That's why in verse 10 he says to Moses, I'm sending you. He is the sent one. It's how Moses is a type of Christ. He is the sent one. This is a picture for us New Testament believers, my friend. In verse number 13, the Bible goes on, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am coming to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? This is not Moses retracting or halting yet. He does that in chapter 4. Here he's saying, I don't even know you, but I want to grow to know you. Who are you? I'm the existing, existent one, God says. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am. The self-existent Jehovah hath sent me unto you. What Moses tried to do in his irrational flesh 40 years earlier, God was going to do for him through faith. He tried to rescue one Hebrew from being whipped and failed. Now he was going to rescue the whole nation? How's that going to work? Well, by faith, he can do the impossible. That's an amazing advancement in ability, by the way. Moses' concern for his people was real, but in his flesh he could not accomplish God's purpose. By faith he can. You can too. You can change the world, but you know you have to live changed before the world. You can live, you cannot live and be irrational and incapable and ignorant in front of them. You can't hope to bring healing there. That's not a compassionate way to live. The most compassionate way you can live is in obedience to God. That brings the healing of God to this world. In closing, Moses found purpose in God through faith, not in his flesh. There really is no purpose outside of the Creator. He's the one who set the intended usefulness of everything. That includes you. It includes me. I often tell people around here, I'm a pastor. That means I can't anything but God, but what God tells me to do. You know, that's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. A pastor is a gift to the church. That doesn't puff my head up. It means I'm like a present on Christmas. I don't get to do anything but sit under the tree and hope to be useful. That's all you are as well. God is looking for yielded people to do His work. That's what He delivers us from. A life without purpose to a life filled with purpose. He's the one who sets the intended use. Moses in his flesh was incapable, irrational, and ignorant. That may be someone in here this morning. And you might go home and say, the pastor called me ignorant. You might be trying to do what is right, but always doing it in your flesh and failing. You might be controlled by your fears and your emotions, living irrationally, because life will assault you. You might be here this morning hopelessly unaware of how to change the pathway of your life. May I introduce you to my God, the God that Moses met, 
in that burning bush. His faith brought a heavenly call, holy character, and healing compassion that would guide him the rest of his life. Oh, I know, chapter 2 is seldom preached in the life of Moses, but it sets the scene. It's the first 80 years so that the final 40 are full of God's faith. Oh, that your life would be the same. Whatever you've done in your flesh, forsake it. And commit to living and operating by faith, even today. Father, help us, I pray.